Hey everybody, stay tuned today. I'm going to talk about some extras from the past couple of sermons that I just didn't have time to get to and the identity of God's people. Is it Israel? Is it the church? What do we do with that? Ah, it won't be controversial. Stick around. No checklist completed is going to save you. No bucket list is going to save you. No amount of blood, sweat, and tears that you've poured out in your life is going to save you. No amount of cash or worldly possessions is going to save you. You can't take it with you. You'll be dead. Buddha can't save you. Gandhi can't enlighten you. The Pope can't absolve your sins. The saints can't pray you into eternal life. Muhammad can't fix you. Allah isn't able. No president, no legislation, no Supreme Court justice, no state or nation or leader or celebrity. No one can save you because there is salvation in no one else. Salvation in nobody but Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Bearded Bible Thinker. Um, I wanted to share actually a couple of things today. I, so um, I almost always begin by saying something like, hey, we're going to talk briefly about or, um, hey, just a, a, a quick episode today or something like that. Right. And every time I do that, essentially, I lie to you. OK, so today I'm not going to even attempt uh, to do that. I uh, think uh, that this is going to be. Uh, not forever lengthy, but it's not going to be short either. Um, so uh, the the first thing that I want to really talk about is, uh, you know, whenever a, a, a pastor preacher uh, develops a sermon, okay, uh, no matter how you tend to preach or what your style is or uh, um, how uh, what your personality type is um, or uh, the the exegesis that you do, the dissecting of the scriptures that you do, uh, no matter how all of that ends up playing out, okay? Even a long-winded preacher like myself, uh, typically, is, uh, you, you have 40 to 50 minutes, okay, tops. And a lot of churches, it's like 30 minutes is kind of the goal that people shoot for. And and so I just want to say that uh, a lot of uh, places in the scriptures, in fact, nearly all of the places in the scriptures, particularly in areas like Ephesians, which is what we're walking through on Sunday mornings right now, um, those those kinds of places in the scriptures, uh, you could do an entire sermon on almost every phrase. And so uh, there is always... Uh, uh, something that just didn't make it in. Uh, you're, you are constrained by time, no matter how um, uh, Puritan-esque we would like to think ourselves uh, uh, being. Uh, there's, there, there is a point in which the nursery worker is going to come out of the nursery and uh, and and maybe in some sort of a rage, uh, and okay, that that's never happened. But but th there there is a sense in which you know people do have to feed their children, and uh, you are constrained by time at some level, and so um, there's literally not enough time in the morning, uh, in the, the 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 allotted typical time for sermons or preaching. 
to get through every single thing in the text. In fact, that's also true because if you if you're like me, even every time you read through the uh, specific book of the Bible again or whatever, um, you're always running across things that ah, I just never saw that before. That's brand new, and so. Um, I want to just bring up specifically for the there in the past couple of weeks, uh, as I'm preaching, there are things that I think are kind of, uh, neat, uh, uh, that I just didn't have a lot of time to, to bring up. Uh, and so I want to bring them up now really quickly. Ah, see, I did it just now. I said really quickly. Um, uh, I, I am going to try to be brief with this part because the next, uh, uh, point in the, podcast today is going to be um, probably a little bit more lengthy. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, right, we've been in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to begin, Lord willing, uh, chapter 4 this week. Um, and the the last little section in Ephesians chapter 3 has to do with Paul's prayer for the Ephesian saints. And so I'm going to put this up on the screen right now if you're watching on YouTube. If you're not watching on YouTube, I'm also going to read it, so that's okay. Uh, don't fret. Um, so this is even the title, the little non-inspired title above this section in your Bibles, um, at least in this one, this is the Legacy Standard Bible. It says, Prayer for Spiritual Power. So this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian saints that he is writing to. Um, and he says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would give you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being firmly rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or understand, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So that's Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And uh, two weeks ago, um, so the first week was just verses 14 and 15, and we just really focused on this idea that uh, Paul is bowing his knees before the Father. Um, and just that, that was really the major focus of that sermon. Um, and then uh, two weeks ago, we dealt with verses 16 through 19. And so, which is kind of the content of Paul's prayer, the actual thing he's asking the Father to do for uh, these Ephesians. And um, I want to, something that I wasn't, just wasn't able to bring out um, uh, that is really, really cool, okay, is this. So if you remember at the very beginning of Ephesians, I, I spent uh, the first week just on the introduction, as you would expect, right? The introduction, Paul's greeting and that sort of thing. Um, I remember laughably everyone, like I got through the word Paul and it was like 30 minutes in. And so I had to start rushing through uh, some of the rest of the content. And um, But then the second week, um, I had originally planned to begin walking through, um, to begin walking through the the particular text, right? Uh, verse three, 
Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Um, so I, I'd plan to start going through kind of a verse by verse, maybe, you know, a, a two, three, four verses at a time, depending on the place. But I, it wasn't really far into my prep that week that I just thought, man, I, like if I do that, um, I'm going to miss uh, something really big, uh, a concept that's really big in, in like this whole run on sentence that Paul has here. Um that that I really want to bring out. So I ended up in the second sermon of this whole uh, letter that that we've been uh, messing with and and working through. Um, the second sermon was an uh, was an overview, really, of that run on sentence of verse uh, three. Um, I believe all the way down to um, verse twelve. Um, yeah, I think so. And so I, it was like this. Uh, I, I spent time in this overarching um, uh, work through of that big run on sentence that Paul gives us in the beginning of the book and of the beginning of the letter, really. And the title of that sermon, I think, was a Trinitarian salvation. And what I wanted to, to focus on and to, to glean from the text that week is that um, it, every person in the Trinity is involved in our salvation. Um, every bit of it. It talks about the, um, uh, the Father being the genesis of our salvation. It came from His mind. He's the architect. He's the one who uh, let's see, who uh, chose us uh, before the foundation of the world, that we'd be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons of his, um, according to the good pleasure of his, so, uh, of his will. So uh, the Father has all of these things in that first bit of the uh, chapter there, of the first bit of the letter, uh, that he's responsible for, that he has accomplished, that he did. And then you see all of these, um, if you can, if you, you're watching this on YouTube or something, you can see in Christ, in him, through Jesus Christ, in the beloved, that's Christ, in him, uh, in him, in Christ, in him, in him. And so like all the way through, what we learn is the Father did all of these things through Christ. It is in Christ. So the Son has this uh, uh, responsibility, this this uh, part to play in our salvation as well. And then we also learn that our salvation is by the power of the Spirit of God. So it's it's the Spirit of God uh, that uh, empowers uh, the whole thing. God um, saves us uh, through Christ by the power of His Spirit. And so, uh, point being, the entire Trinity, uh, uh, every person in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, has a, uh, a role to play in our salvation as Christians, in our being chosen and predestined and, and adopted and given an inheritance and all of these things. Um, it's, it's a whole Trinitarian thing. And uh, this is how Paul opens the letter. I mean, past the the typical, hey, hey, it's me, um, uh, uh, greetings, uh, grace and peace, and those kinds of things. Past the the greeting um, uh, itself, Paul spends time uh, outlining 
things about our uh, salvation, and we can glean from that, that it is this Trinitarian salvation. Um, and so uh, one of the things I didn't talk about when I dealt with verses 16 through 19 of chapter 3 uh, which is kind of the the um, this prayer of Paul's fourteen through twenty one. This prayer of Paul's is uh, the closing bit of the of the first uh, half of the book. the The big piece of of the book is uh, so it's divided in two, right? It's it's all of the the doctrine in chapters one through three, and then it is how to live in light of that doctrine in chapters four through six. And so he's closing out chapter three with this prayer, and it's really cool that he actually mentions the same Trinity in this prayer. Um, and so uh, th this is, uh, again, a marker of our Trinitarian salvation um, that uh, Paul says that uh, he bows his knees before the Father, uh, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that he, that's the Father, would give you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit. So there's the Spirit. So the, the Father, uh, through the Spirit, um, that he would strengthen them with power through the Spirit that empowers, right, um, in the inner man, so that, what? So that Christ, the Son, may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being firmly rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, the Son, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Um, so, you have, again, all three persons of the Trinity mentioned there, and uh, that that uh, ends up, I think, sealing up the whole thing again, that this, this salvation uh, of which we are a part, uh, of which we are partakers, um, is in, involving every person in the Trinity. All three have a role. All three play a part, and the Father, we are saved by the Father, uh, by the power of the Spirit uh, of God uh, through Jesus Christ, His Son. So that's just a little tidbit that did not make it into that sermon that um, that is worthy of being a study and a thing in and of itself. And so this happens all the time in the scriptures. And so, uh, and and so. Uh, uh, your your pastor, if you don't attend our church and you're just listening to this, your pastor very likely um, has to skip things <laughs> just for the sake of time. And uh, so that's just something to keep in mind. There always are things that um, that don't get talked about that could. Um, and that very easily could have been its own sermon all over again without me doing the other things that I talked about on uh, two weeks ago when I preached about that. Okay, and then the other thing from this past week, um, this is going to be a little quicker, I think. So I, I talked um, about uh, um, according to. This part of the sermon was I mentioned according to, that God, the, the, the actual point I was making is that um, God doesn't do anything um, in a baseless way. He, there's a foundation or a reason behind everything that God does. And so I just walked back all of these according to's, right? And you see that on your screen highlighted if, uh, if you're watching this. If you're not, I'm going to just read through a couple of these uh, for you. Um, 
and it begins uh, in, uh, let's see, verse uh, 5. Yeah, verse 5. Um, uh, by predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Uh, it says uh, in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions, according to the riches of his grace. 9. Uh, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, uh, which he prepared purposed in him. Uh, verse 11, there are two of them. In verse 11, in him we also have been made an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Um, and so you see the the uh, point um, that I was making in verse 19. There's another one um, uh, that God does everything according to uh, um, something that there's always a uh, a reason behind it, a, a basis upon which he is acting and doing whatever he is doing. In uh, chapter uh, uh, 3, verse 7, uh, Paul was made by God, right, a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to him according to the working of his, that's God's, power. So uh, it, even Paul's calling himself, he's saying that um, God called him and made him a minister of the gospel according to the gift of God's grace. Um, and so uh, God does everything for a reason. What I didn't actually articulate, I think I touched on it, but not in a in a uh, a concrete, obvious way, is that there's a connection here too for our works. the 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 things that we do are also not baseless. You hear a lot of talk nowadays about um, uh, the there not being any such thing as neutral, right? In our culture, right? You're you are there's no neutral. Uh, no one is neutral in this kind of culture war or spiritual warfare. You are on a side, whether you'd like that uh, or not. That's just the case. And there's no such thing as neutral. And so um, uh, everyone is doing something, is doing everything that they're doing, even if the thing they're doing is not acting, <laughs> not acting uh, intentionally to support this or that or the other thing. Um, everything that we do or do not do is according to something, and it's even touched on in Ephesians. But I didn't, I didn't actually quote this one because I was talking about God doing things according to um, a foundation. But think about this in chapter two, verses one through three of Ephesians. It says this about us, right? Uh, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked, what? According to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So uh, the things that we do, uh, that we did, okay, in this case, uh, we did according to something also. There's a foundation behind it. There's a something behind what our, how we acted and the things that we did, our works, whether good or evil, right? There's always something behind the scenes causing you to do the things that you do and causing you to decide not to do the things that you decide not to do. Um, and the unbeliever, uh, 
um, who's dead in their transgressions and sins, who's still spiritually dead, spiritually blind, um, they, they are walking according to the course of this world. Okay, so the world carries them uh, along, uh, and and this is their foundation, the world, and also, um, well, Satan <laughs> and his uh, demonic influence, uh, uh, um, that side of the spiritual warfare. Um, this is uh, they act according to the world itself, and that, uh, and they're on that side of the spiritual war. Um, and so you could also rightly say um, that they act according to the lusts of their flesh. He doesn't um, say that, um, uh, but uh, th- at least that word according to here. Um, but I just wanted to bring that out, that, that we do the things that we do or don't do the things we don't do according to something also. And so may uh, you and I be acting um, according to uh God's word and uh and and uh, acting uh, according to his glory our desire to to live not uh in accordance with the world and not in accordance with the the ruler of the power the 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 principalities and and rulers of this world but rather may we act um and decide not to act um, based on um, not our own lusts and the world and and Satan and his armies, but based on the glory of God, our desire in our new life to glorify our God and our King. Okay, now let's chat about uh, the people of God. I'm already 21 minutes in, so I'm going to have to abbreviate all of this, but uh I just want to make a very quick case um, that I actually made this case in a sermon uh, not too awfully long ago, um, and actually in Ephesians as well, when he talks about um, the, um, in chapter 3, um, verse 11, no, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. Chapter 2 is what I was looking for. Yeah, chapter 2, verse 11. Um, when Paul begins to talk about formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision uh, by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. So he begins to talk about the circumcision versus the uncircumcision. He begins to talk about this idea that the, that the Gentiles have been brought near, that the Gentiles have been accepted in, that they've been adopted, and they are now sons as well. In fact, what has he been saying at the outset of the book, right, of the letter that he's writing to the Ephesians? Um, he's not simply talking about the the, the Jewish people being um, uh, chosen, predestined, adopted, all of these words. Um, he's also talking about now the Gentiles, the Ephesians. Um, and uh, so the, this idea comes up, right? And this is a very contentious thing. And so what I don't want to, I don't want to attempt to alienate people or or attempt to, to uh, be dogmatic in the sense that I'm saying, listen, if you believe da-da-da, you're an idiot, or da-da-da, then you're just, you, maybe you're not a Christian. Or uh, like some people get kind of ridiculous about these things. But uh, what I do want to do is, is kind of make a very quick case for what I, uh, for why I land where I do. 
and maybe explain just briefly before that um, what I, I believe about this. Um, so there are different schools of thought about it, right? So you have um, one uh, group of folks who believe that um, the church has uh, replaced Israel um, as the people of God, um, also known as uh, replacement theology. Uh, this is some. This is an idea that I understand, right? In the scriptures, why people maybe land there. Um, uh, there's uh, the, another, uh, probably the, the, the opposite of that would be the other extreme, maybe, uh, the, uh, would be um, some, some of the dispensational kind of uh, uh, thinking in that uh, the church is its own entity and Israel is its own entity. They're separate. They have separate futures. They have separate hopes, in a, in a sense. Um, not, that, not that both don't hope in Christ. That's not what I'm saying. But they have they have separate uh, places in the story, uh, separate futures ahead of them, um, and so it's it's almost as if there are actually are two separate peoples of God, and um, uh, Israel is one, and national ethnic Israel is one, and then the church being another. So I I actually don't fall into either one of those camps. I think both of those are are a bit of a misunderstanding of the scriptures. And so <clears throat> just very briefly, um, I want to talk about that. And, and actually, I, I also want to welcome uh, your uh, comments and questions about it. And, and maybe if you have like a, a penetrating, difficult question that, that um, you fall into one of these camps or the other, and you, and, and you have a question that you think I need to be able to answer if I'm going to fall where I'm falling, um, then uh, then I want I want to engage with that. I want you to to comment and question, um, and and maybe there will be something there that I need to I need to do a follow up podcast about and and do some more research or whatever. I'm open to uh, to having my mind changed about this. Um, I'm actually meeting with a brother here in just a little bit, um, and we're gonna um, spend some time in Galatians because of this very topic, um, but. Uh, so I I want to I want to first say this this is this is really the foundation of where I land um, the foundational thing the foundational sort of piece of information that causes me to land where I land is the word ecclesia or ecclesia or however you might want to pronounce that it's it's the greek word for congregation or assembly is uh some of the interpretations but it is also the greek word that when you see the word church in your new testament in your bible um that's the word that's the greek word so the word church the word congregation the word assembly these are all the same word uh in the greek and so anytime you see the word church, um, you could literally, you could um, mark that off and put congregation in your Bible. And it in the Greek, uh, the Greek translation, it would literally be saying the exact same thing. Um, there, there, it wouldn't be a bad translation of the New Testament if you simply put congregation everywhere that you see the word church. So uh, that is a pretty important thing. Um, I think, and, and I think that we miss that a lot. So one of the things that I think that that has caused is I, I believe that we have 
um, inadvertently created some kind of special entity um, that we know as the church. And this is some very different thing way over here um, in, in the New Testament church is just this very different thing, even though all that word means is congregation. Um, and then I, I think um, an, another layer to that is this, that the Greek Septuagint, if you've never heard of that, um, it is the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So um, why is that important? Well, the Greek translation of the Old Testament is what most folks uh, would have had at their disposal who had something like this at their disposal. Um, and uh, it's what they would have had um, in the first century during the time of Christ and his disciples. In fact, um, during the New Testament era, um, which spans uh, about 50 years, depending on how, how you want to date certain uh, books of the Bible, um, uh, the uh, the the New Testament era, all of the Old Testament quotes, um, so direct quotes from the Old Testament. The reason that you see, um, you should try this out if you haven't ever done this, but where you see an Old Testament verse quoted in the New Testament, um, all, a lot of the times, uh, in fact, probably most of the time, you read that and then you go to that uh, verse in the Old Testament and it says something different. It says it, like the translation isn't completely the same. And that's because um, when New Testament writers, whether it be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, uh, uh, Acts, Rome, I'm just kidding. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or uh, Paul, or James, or uh, whatever, Peter, um, no matter who the New Testament writer is, when they quote uh, Old Testament verses, um, they're actually quoting from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. They're not quoting from the, the Hebrew words. And so um, I, I, I think that that actually is going to add another layer to my argument because um, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament also had the word ekklesia um, throughout the Old Testament when it was referring to the congregation of Israel or the congregation of God's people. So that word, um, I would argue that in the New Testament, when, when the word ecclesia is used, the word church or congregation, the New Testament writers actually use that word intentionally to connect the the the. Uh, New Testament believers, the New Testament people who were in Christ with the Old Testament people who looked forward to Christ. There, there's an intentional attempt to, um, to, uh, to connect the congregation of God as we think about it in the New Testament with the congregation of God as we understand it in the Old Testament. So, <clears throat> So my understanding of that would be that um, the people of God, for la uh, uh, to put it bluntly and quickly, I think, the people of God have always been the people of God. Whether you would like to call that uh, or think about it in terms of um, national or ethnic Israel in the Old Testament, there always were uh, sojourners, people who um, married in. I think about Ruth, the Moabitess. I think about... Um, uh, Rahab, who was not uh, is an Israelite, um, and yet these two women made it into the genealogy of Christ, right? Like, um, so there, there are those outsiders who 
were actually considered part of Israel, even though ethnically they were not. Um, and I would also argue that um, perhaps like Achan, right, the sin of Achan and, and others, uh, Nadab and Abihu, um, <clears throat> who thinks that Nadab and Abihu went to heaven because they were ethnically Israelites? I, probably no one, <laughs> right? Uh, Nadab and Abihu, if you don't know the story, Leviticus chapter 10, they uh, offered strange fire before the Lord, really only uh, not uh, incredibly long after um, God legitimately uh, verbatim said not to offer strange fire <laughs> as they worshiped him. Um, and then God, uh, fire from God came out from the, the, the altar and, and it consumed them and they died. Um, in, in that instance, they were, that wasn't an accidental thing. They were um, uh, um, intentionally disobeying God and, um, and, and thereby playing God or being God themselves or tempting. And, and so God killed them. Okay, so is are, are we like going to assume that Nadab and Abihu uh, were, um, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, that they were uh, Israelites as uh, that they were God's people? Uh, I mean, they were of they were Aaron's sons, Aaron, the first uh, high priest. They were his sons. Um, and and yet God killed them for their disobedience, for their rebellion against him. Um, Achan in the book of Joshua uh, um, uh, caused the deaths of of uh, more than himself uh, when he deliberately disobeyed God. Um, there are these characters throughout the Old Testament that were um, ethnically not part of Israel, that were brought into the fold of Israel, and there are these characters who in the Old Testament that were ethnically part of Israel that I would argue we're probably not going to see in paradise someday. Right. So with that being the case, and God even made provisions for sojourners to be circumcised or, or whatever um, and and uh, to live as though they were part of Israel. Um, and and so I think when and when we uh, read in the New Testament uh, about moments like from Christ himself, when he talked about sheep and goats, uh, when he talked about wheat and tares, that there there are going to be. Um, uh, true believers, and there are going to be so-called believers in e even among the the visible church um, during our time. And uh, that being the case, we have the same exact issue today. That there are those who, um, though they may look uh, and smell and act and do the church things are actually not part of the church. That there will be those who, to, to whom at the end of the age, Christ says, um, when they stand before Him, "I never knew you." Um, and and I believe that there there are going to be some of those folks that are going to surprise us. Um, that like, wow, I would have never guessed that. Um, uh, and and at the very same time, I think that there probably are going to be people who we would be at war with a little bit theologically or whatever else that that you'll probably see um in, in heaven and so that we we literally have the same exact thing going on in the old testament people of god and the new testament people of god uh, there there have always been those who are not actually part of god's people um, though maybe ethnically they they uh, uh, may look and act like God's people and maybe 
at, again, ethnically born of God's people. Um, and then we, we have those who are outsiders who don't look and act like God's people sometimes. And, and, uh, and, and yet they're part of God's people. Uh, they're still part of the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the, uh, people for God's own possession. And so, um, I think that, uh, so here's the the really short version of what I uh, think about this, of how I'm seeing the the grand picture, right, uh, of the Old and New Testament. I I don't think that um, Israel, um, ethnic national Israel, um, is uh, uh, this major separate thing from the church. Um, I don't think that the scriptures teach that, um, and. At the very same time, um, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that the church has replaced ethnic Israel. I think that's a goofy thing to think, actually. However, I think that the, the church, as we think about it sometimes in our culture, is a made-up thing. It was, was not meant to be the... the um, now, I'm still going to use the word church, right? This is a local church that I'm sitting in right now. It's a, uh, a, at least a building where the local church meets. Um, I, church is not a bad word, but I think that sometimes how we, the, the concept of church that we think about when we think about the New Testament church is that it's this entity that, that is divorced somehow from God's people in the Old Testament. And that's just laughably not what the New Testament says. Um, and instead, it, the, the gospel went to the Jew first and, and then to the Gentiles. The Gentiles have been grafted in to the people of God, um, the people of God, quote, air quotes, who were, ev- na- um, who were never actually part of the people of God, have been uh, pruned out uh, when, um, when John the Baptist came and he was paving the way for Jesus. What did he say? The axe is already laid to the root of the tree. Um, uh, Jesus was about to come and 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 judge, um, and so I think that um, th- there's really just a misunderstanding of the whole thing, and it causes us to fight a lot when that's um, kind of a goofy thing to fight about. Now I do think, okay, that I, I don't think you can read Romans chapter eleven and come away thinking that God doesn't have some sort of plan for uh, those people who are ethnically Israelites. Um, I do see um, that uh, talking about um, a future revival, if you will, uh, a future coming to Christ of the ethnic Israelites. I think that that's going to happen. In fact, that kind of could already be happening. This is happening in groves um, uh, in other places in the world, not not necessarily a ton in Dickinson, North Dakota, but... um, but anyway, so so I do think that there there's room, and I and I even th- would would say that the scriptures teach that um, that that there is going to be something uh, that takes place, that the, a call that comes uh, and that's answered rather um, for the the people of Israel, meaning ethnic Israelites, um, that's going to bring them in mass to their Messiah, to Christ. Um, however, I think that. Um, uh, based on those two things uh, alone, I think that it, you can make the case, uh, as I'm trying to do today, um, that uh, Israel um, being the people of God, the people of God, the congregation of the Lord in the Old Testament, um, 
has always included uh, outsiders who were not ethnic Israelites, and it has always excluded some ethnic Israelites who were not part of the remnant that God always kept, right? Ahab um, did not go to heaven when he died, right? Um, and, and so I think in the New Testament as well, we have obvious instances, right? The sheep and the goats, the, um, the false teachers, the, the uh, false converts, maybe, that Paul turns over to Satan um, in hopes that they will come to Christ and realize their folly. Um, and, and then I think that the term ecclesia being um, used um, throughout the Old and New Testaments in the Greek language. Um, intentionally, it is intentionally meant to uh, connect those dots. <laughs> it, I, I think that the, the, the whole reason the word ekklesia is used in the Greek Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, as well as the, um, the, the obviously the Greek in the New Testament, uh, I think that those words are used um, uh, are are the same are one and the same intentionally to 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 paint the picture to uh, that that this is just a continuous thing that God's people in the Old Testament are God's people in the New Testament um, and and that um, now the really the difference the the only difference is um, now Abraham has become the father of many nations and not only the father of one nation that the the nations now and as the gospel goes out to more nations that the nations uh the gentiles the people who were not um part of god's people that they um have now been included and everyone in christ uh uh is abraham's offspring uh it says in galatians i just i don't think that you can um unsee that i i i and and help me if I'm wrong. If if uh, someone's listening to this and they're going, "Hey, uh, bro, you're missing this. This completely talks about," um, then just let me know. Um, uh, but but please uh, uh, think about the things that I'm saying as well, right? If if you fall into one or the other of these camps uh, that I described in the beginning, um, please don't let your argument or your comment be based on you know like nothing. Uh, no kind of uh, argument, actually. Like, don't don't comment and say um, uh, uh, you're crazy, da 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 da, da and not have an actual argument in there, <laughs> right? Because the the whole point of things like this is to have conversations about it, so that we all come closer to the truth all the time. We want to come closer to the truth of the word, and if the Bible is is saying something that I'm not, or vice versa. Um, then we we desperately need to continue to talk about these things and to to draw one another closer to what the word teaches. So this is kind of where I land. Israel Church um, uh, um, is the same entity, and that entity could be summed up by saying um, God's people or the people of God. Um, the family of God, right? I think that, that that is what the scripture teaches based on the things that I've said already. Um, I hope that this was helpful and um, and uh, was something that made you maybe scratch your head or, or maybe was something you hadn't heard before. Um, I don't know. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's kind of where I am. And I hope that uh, you uh, had uh, 
a blessed time listening and that we'll engage further on this and uh, that I'll see you again in the future. 